Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Prometheus, starring Nomi Rapis, Michael Fassbender, Guy Pierce, Idris Elba, Logan Marshall Green, and Charlize Theron. Written by John Spates and Damon Lindelhoff, and directed by Ridley Scott. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time to start in the middle of the summer movie season. A summer cask built all around summer movies, and we've done the Hall of Fame, we've done the Hall of Shame. Now it's time to do the Hall of what? Uh, films that yeah. are either fan deride, uh, critically confusing, uh, films that you know might have a following but might be a questionable following. They might be sequels that we waited a long time for that didn't quite meet expectations. In here, I think is just a cask of uh, maybe some good, some bad, and some ugly. How does that sound? That sounds very well put, succinctly described. Yeah. yeah. And up first from 2012 is a film that you and I have talked a lot about off mic, on mic, Mm -hmm. uh, in many episodes, and I'm kind of glad it's finally making its appearance on the podcast. We're talking about Prometheus, directed by Ridley Scott. Uh, What they will try and hide as much as possible as being an alien prequel, but it's set within the alien universe, and we'll get to talk a lot about that, the development, the production history, uh... Hey, Matt, always fun when we're talking about Alien, even, and this time my voice is actually intact. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, without Well, you, if it's anything uh, like the first time, this will set a record because that wasn't our best downloaded episode or our most downloaded episode there for a while. Wasn't it? it was for a while, and then it was, it was surpassed by Joker. Wow. Yeah. Well, uh, if Prometheus reaches those levels, we're either doing something really right or something really wrong. There you go. There, there you go. <laughs> yeah, okay. Hey, Matt, without you here, I'm just kind of going through some old bottles. I'm just bottle killing left and right over here. I'm, I'm finishing out today the old Bardstown Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Uh, you got mm-hmm. you got this for me for, for Christmas, and this has been a pretty good bottle. That was a nice bottle. You got anything uh, over I there? Wish I could, yeah, I'm just sitting here kind of poolside. So we're just a Mike's hard lemonade today, which is about as weak as it gets, but beggars can't be choosers. Uh, I got, I got to tell you a funny story. One time, like I just turned 21, me, me and my buddies and he had, well, someone wanted, you know, just one smeared off ice. And we're like, how do you go to the liquor store and just buy like one smeared off? Um, but I think we were able to find one for, 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 for my buddy. And it was, it was slightly embarrassing. And we, we, we laugh about it to this day. <laughs> just take one smear off ice, please, sir. Well, it was, you know, you know, you know, when you started, you know, you're like, man, I can legally drink now. Or, you know, the days of, you know, you know, drinking when, you know, you're not supposed to, you know, whichever camp you fall into, you know, it's kind of a journey to find things that are palatable that you enjoy drinking. So naturally you kind of, you want to gravitate to something that's sweet, not as like bitter or hard tasting. So like, like one of my go-tos early on was a Tom Collins. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. so beyond your years. Yeah, it was light and refreshing, and I I don't think I've had one since college. And then, um, the junior golfing buddy still polishes off every Sunday afternoon. Yeah, sure, yeah. that's a golfing <laughs> nice casserole. It was either that it was that one, and then the other one, which is just foolish. I, if I had one now, it'd probably kill me. Was an adios motherfucker, which is just a little bit of everything with some blue curacao. Uh, oh, hard pass, right? <laughs> 
hard pass. Yeah. There was, I'm a little confused though. Cause you said something that I, I had never heard. Mm-hmm. Um, did I hear you correctly? Mm-hmm. People sometimes partake of alcohol before the age of 21. Yeah. That's the thing. <laughs> what? Yeah, on the side, right? Yeah, it's just, it's it's a myth. It's a myth uh, being talked about uh, just like in the same conversation as engineers. (laughs) Yeah, maybe when you're waiting for the chupacabra, you just sneak one off to the side. There you go, yeah. Don't drink the warm, ladies and gentlemen. Ooh, perfect setup. Yeah, Yeah. engineers. Boy, we've got a lot to talk about them. Give me a couple for these engineers. Oh yeah, I'm gonna need. I'm gonna need a whole bottle for that one. But let's dive right in before we get started with our flight question. Alrighty, so we've only done, if memory serves me correctly, we've only done one Ridley Scott film on this podcast, and that was 1979's Alien. So hmm. it kind of seemed apt, now that we're talking about Prometheus, uh, spend our, our uh, we've done more Tony Scott films on this podcast than we have Ridley That's Scott. That's crazy. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, Friday night's a good night for football. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, our flight question this week, uh, he's got a really diverse and interesting filmography from science fiction to hard drama to historical epics. So Matt, give me your top three, uh, Ridley Scott films. Uh, we'll do a three, three, two, two, one, one. Checking in number three for me, gladiator. Uh, I think that film other than being, I think really visually stunning, is important because that sort of started the sword and sandals revival boom that, that <laughs> took off and yeah, dominated or tried to dominate film for a decade ish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Russell Crowe's really good in that film. That skinny and shape Russell Crowe, Joaquin Phoenix makes a great villain. Uh, it's fun to watch. Yeah. Commodus. It's fun to watch the gladiatorial effects um, kind of play out in the silver screen I just think that's a really enjoyable film, even though there is some discussion around the Academy Award, you know, viability with that film. I don't know if I can get there with that, but uh, I do, I do really, really enjoy that movie. Yeah. Great choice. It's also my number three. Uh, Okay. Yeah. I really, I, I really love Gladiator. It was, you know, to see that scale and scope that, you know, kind of hadn't been seen, you know, since like, well, you know, Braveheart in like 95, but like not since like Ben-Hur and like the Cleopatra days, are we seeing sword and sandal gladiatorial matches? Um, yeah, it's really enjoyable. It's really watchable. Crow's great. Uh, man, that Hans Zimmer score in that, in that movie rips. And, uh, yeah. uh, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix is a fantastic villain. Um, maybe plays Feeling better than than hero, uh, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, the last I think uh, screen role of Oliver Reed, I believe he died while making that movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just it's 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 hard not to just sit and plop yourself on the couch for two and a half when Gladiator's on. Uh, it's just it's just a really well made and crafted film, and I'm gonna have a lot to say about you know this particular film today and just the way it looks and sets and costumes like. Scott's really good at making a world feel lived in uh, on on film. So yeah, that's that's my number three. 
Uh, well said. Before we move on, what do you think, you know, because Mr. Ridley Scott, uh, let me look up his mm-hmm. age real quick. Um, 82? 85. Holy crap. Wow. Uh, still cranking out films left and right. He's, I think, probably, he's in post-production on Napoleon with uh, Mr. Joaquin Phoenix, which should come out later this December. Uh, but I think he's busy prepping away, or maybe they're even filming already, Gladiator 2. Uh, this is a film that's been in development hell for years. I actually believe it's in that uh, Devo Hell book that you and I used to read. Uh, yeah. Finally happening. What do you think about that? you think it's too little too late? <laughs> uh, I mean, there's been a lot of discussion from Beyond the Grave, Back from the Dead. Uh, where do you go? I, I mean, look, I'm going to see it. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, know I, what don't that, think, I don't I don't think we're saturated with sword and sandals anymore, so it does have that working for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. Yes, I mean, I'm probably going to see it. Just right now in this moment, I'm probably like four to six on interest, I guess. Sure. It's, it's, it's my guess. They got to come up with a better title, though. They can, that thing can't just roll out to the theaters as Gladiator 2. <laughs> no, right. <laughs> That's a horrible right. title. <laughs> oh man okay what's your number two american gangster nice yeah uh love a gangster film denzel's really good two crows um it's right how about that mm-hmm. uh I, I don't know i mean that's a film that i think i'd like to see it because i could see a day when we do like that and Scarface and maybe some other gangster epic in there. So I don't get too, mm-hmm. too out over my skis on that. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what that other gangster epic might be. Yeah. Anything I'm missing in the gangster world that's been popular, that's really popular that we could see now? I don't know. So yeah, maybe, maybe yeah, that, we could justify that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, a different version. I think that what that film has working for it that maybe we don't quite see so much is the street level that doesn't get to like new Jack city, John Singleton, but gets away from the structure of Casa Nostra. Yeah. And I thought that was a refreshing take on it and it's well acted. And uh, I think Denzel's a really, really good bad guy in that too. Mm -hmm. Great choice. Thanks. Your number two, what do you got? When did that come out? Oh eight, Oh nine. I mean, Thing's already 13 years old, I think. God, that's crazy. Yeah. 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 My number two, Matt, it had to show up on my list. It's Blade Runner from 1982. Uh, Yeah. One of the more influential films in my film viewing existence. Uh, Yeah. Talk about a troubled production. The Scott's own cut didn't even make it to the theater in 82. He had to wait until 92 to uh, show his vision. Uh, and it's a film that's been tampered with, with multiple cuts, edits, and whatever. But, man, do I not just... I just get sucked into that world of 2019 Los Angeles and the neon, the Vangelis score. The, it, that film is just wet 24-7. It's just constantly raining there. Uh, yeah. And then just all the existential, just thematic things that you can dive into, whether it's religion, uh, more human than human, you know... Um, you know, just can a robot love, can a robot procreate, like all the fun little things there. And I, I really do appreciate that. It still kind of does feel like a film noir at the end of the day with, you know, M. Emmett Walsh is like your Edward G. Robinson character. And you have Harrison Ford as Deckard is like your Fred McMurray or your Bogart going through this seedy world. And 
Hell, depending on which version you're watching, he might be a robot too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Which ver- which version of him do you like him? Robot Deckard or Replicant Depper- Deckard or regular human Deckard? Yeah, I, like? I like regular Deckard. I, you know, I think the, 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 the thematic stuff can get a little muddy if you're just like, oh man, is he a robot too? And just whatever. But for anyone out there, I mean, there's like, I think at least five versions of the film that you can dive into. The one that... I really prefer the one that's labeled Final Cut, which was done in, a, I think, 2007. Mm. Uh, and I like that it said final. It was Scott saying, we ain't touching this thing anymore. This is the final time we're doing this. And it's coherently, and, you know, it, it got rid of that voiceover, which just sound, Harrison Ford just sounds so bored doing that voiceover. And then I went over to the Tyrell Corporation. I met a, a girl named Rachel. It's just... <laughs> could not be bothered to do that. And the film suffers yeah. for that. So Final Cut gets rid of all of that mumbo jumbo and just kind of keeps it very linear. Might have to do that one. I, I probably have seen that one before, but I probably need to mm-hmm. check that out. That's a film that well, that's an episode. I think would lead us into a really interesting discussion as well. Uh, I think that's an episode that has to be done just because of, of like today our kind of differing opinions on it could just, you know, lead the way into some interesting conversation. Yeah. Yeah. What's your this number? This is actually director for you and I, isn't it? This is there's I, some very different takes in this with this director for both. A, of us. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. What's your uh, number? number one? We're gonna we're gonna both have the same one here, I'm sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So it's Alien. Uh, <laughs> you didn't give how me. Could it not you be? didn't give me time to throw in like a ridiculous answer, like Black Rain <laughs> or like uh, a Good Year. But yeah. Legend. Yeah. Le- oh yeah, Legend. Yeah, Legend. You know, maybe on my list a little bit later. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, how could it not? Um, how go could run it, with it. I'll let you run with it. Go, yeah. How could it not be Alien? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, in my top five films of all time, uh, I, I love yeah. the look, the feel. Uh, you know, I'm so attached to that film. It's probably a lot of the reason why I had such a problem with uh, today's film that we're going to be talking about. Yeah. Um, but just, you know, it's truckers in space. It's blue-collar workers in space. They're just trying to make a living wage and get thrust into Jaws on a ship. I mean, it's just, it's fucking awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you need any more evidence, you know, go listen to that old episode. Don't mind my voice, but um, just thematically. I mean, just, Matt, think about all the stuff whenever we talk about Alien. It's just all the... Mm-hmm sexual imagery and implication and the gestation life cycle of the alien. I mean, that story is just so, so rich for, you know, critical analysis. Yeah. And to do it the way they did it, like to build all of that into what's either a horror film or a science fiction film, depending on how you want to classify it. I think science fiction tends to lean into some of that thematic breakdown a little bit more than horror does, although horror can. Um, but I think where that film succeeds is not only with the horror element and the less is more piece, specifically with the xenomorph, but the idea that we can craft a haunted house mm-hmm. and put it anywhere and anything becomes hauntable as long as it houses things and it's close, not quite, but close to cinematic gold in that it's not quite single location, mm-hmm. but it's kind of close, kind of close to single location. Yeah. 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 That was a lot of fun and well acted. Yeah. Well acted. It's it. I think it has its scary moments too. I love the look of the creature. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a perfect film in, in, in my book. Like I said, it, it's in the top five. I mean, it's gotta be number one on the Scott list. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, Blade Runner, you know, I, I love Blade Runner, but Blade Runner's floating around, like, my teens or 20s on my list. Like, it's it's up there, but, like, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, I have to get through to to get to Blade Runner uh, on my ranking list, so. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think uh, cheers to your list. Cheers to your list. Excellent, excellent. Uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll wrap back around to this uh, for the nightcap, but we got a ton to talk about today with Prometheus, so let's dive into our review breakdown. Oh, crap. Give me a second here. I was like, which, which, which button am I pushing? Here we go now. These are ancient civilizations that were separated by centuries. They shared no contact with one another. And yet, the same pictogram showing men worshiping giant beings pointing to the stars was discovered at every last one of them. And the only galactic system that matched so far from Earth that there's no way that these, these primitive ancient civilizations could have possibly known about it. But it just so happens that that system has a sun. A lot like ours. And based on our long-range scans, there seemed to be a planet. Just one planet with a moon capable of sustaining life. We arrived there this morning. So you're saying we're here because of a map you two kids found in a cave, is that right? No. Yeah. Um. No, not a map, an invitation. From who? We call them engineers. Engineers? Do you mind um, telling us what they engineered? They engineered us. Mm. Bullshit. <laughs> okay, so uh, do, do you have anything to back that up? No, I, I mean, look, if you're willing to discount three centuries of Darwinism, that's... Woo! lot to unpack there and kind of how it fits into the general uh, theme of the film, but, man, I'm going to play two more audio clips for you. Uh... This is where my excitement and my expectation and probably my failings with this film began. Uh-oh. I'm going to play you the original teaser uh, to 1979's Alien, the film we were just talking about. So just listen for a bit. Kind of, kind of got that in your head there. Yes, I do. Alrighty, so here's the teaser trailer to Prometheus. They're nearly identical structure-wise. They're both uh, dialogue-free trailers, just kind of snapshotting different images with that same like 
almost like warning siren that like, yeah. So when I see the teaser for Prometheus and probably like late 2011 or early 2012, I'm like, fuck, they're, they're, they're doing alien. This is, this is an alien movie. Uh, and then you just start reading about it. They're kind of, they're kind of dancing all around it, right? They're, they don't want to outright say, oh yeah, this is an alien prequel, but all points, signs point to this is an alien prequel. So that, that was my problem first. Cause like I was able to pick up on, on just how similar those were. And then as we kind of get into it, I'm like, well, structure wise in this film, it's kind of beat it out the same way as the first alien film. Is it not? For sure it is. Yeah. So I got to ask you this. I want to ask you this question. Okay. So, you're in, you see the trailer for that. Mm-hmm. You hear the score. Immediately, you, oh my God, Split is unbreakable to it, right? Yeah, yeah sure. Immediately, you draw the connection when you hear the music. Are you, at that point, looking forward? Oh, absolutely. To, absolutely. Okay, so you're looking forward to it because this is going to be what leads into one of your top five favorite films of all time. Yeah. And and, it's, and then the movie plays out the way that it does. Uh-huh. And as much as we can sit here on the thing and say, <clears throat> you know, as much as this pretends to be an alien prequel, a lot of people would say it isn't. It absolutely is. Oh yeah. I mean, the, it, it, what, and whether you like it or not fine. I mean, mm-hmm. people have different takes on this as I think you and I both do. Yeah. But here's my question. Mm-hmm. Okay. You answered yes, you were looking forward to it. Does a prequel that gets to barely decoding the xenomorph ever have a chance? Because if Alien is loved because less is more, and that's the contention we make with sex and horror, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Did this ever have a chance? And frankly, does anything ever have a chance? Does any prequel ever stand a chance? Uh, uh, let me tell you the well, thing. In, in, this, in this alien world, for you, I mean. Oh, in this alien did, world. Did this movie ever have it? Did this movie ever have a chance? I think. Yeah. I think it did initially. I think you know I was excited, okay. and I think the thing bringing me to it was like, oh my god, Ridley Scott's doing it. He hasn't made a science fiction film since uh, Blade Runner. So like, yeah, like yeah. let's let's go. Like that that sounds like a great project for him to tackle. Um, sure. Just real quick, just a little anecdote. I have a quite a few for this episode, but this actually started as a development between him and James Cameron about a film that would serve as a prequel to the 1979 film uh, yeah. in the early 2000s. And, you know, 20th Century Fox had other agendas and they were like, well, we're kind of move into the alien versus predator realm. And at that point, Cameron was like, well, I'm fucking out. Uh, yeah. And this thing kind of just gestated for a real long time. So... Yeah, you got the two directors of this franchise that have put together, I'll just tell you right now, Aliens, like, number eight on my top films of all time, thinking of a way to expand this universe, which is rich for, I think, storytelling, whether it's a prequel or a sequel, I think it's an untapped goldmine of where this could go. So I think there was a lot of things working in its favor. Uh, A lot of questions uh, left to answer. Scott back in the director's chair tackling, you know, high tech sci-fi. I was, I was fully on board, but, uh, I had a little bit of pause with one person involved in this. Uh, and it's Damon Lindelof. Damon Lindelof, uh, writer, uh, to me is the writer of, uh, promise, promises and no follow through. 
Uh, yeah. I mean, that was lost in a nutshell, which was just like, let's tease this thing and like never answer it or tease this and we'll answer it like way down the line. And that shit just, even cares, yeah. yeah. And that shit that. just, it shit just gets old real fast. So like, mm-hmm. I think a mm-hmm. lot of that is in this film's DNA, no pun intended of let's set up all these things and still kind of not answer much of anything other than kind of setting up like what the aliens kind of supposed to look like. And I kind of hate that. I kind of, I kind of hate that this couldn't just kind of be its own thing. This film like really does rely on the existence of the other two films instead of being its kind of own self-contained entity. Yeah. But what about you? I think what's interesting about this, and I think the jumping off point for, and and I'll be honest, uh, although alien is probably in my top 50, it's not nearly as high on my list. As as years, but still, top fifty is pretty high praise. Like I recognize the, yeah. the brilliance of that film. How yeah. can you, I mean, you have to be an idiot, cinematic mm-hmm. idiot, not to. Yeah. If you think about Alien, and we go back to the argument that we've had with prequels. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's take the Darth Vader example. Yeah. Darth Vader is so established. I don't really give a damn about how he became the establishing because anything else is going to seem so small. Yeah. It's, it's not going to play. Well, Jesse, I, the xenomorph, and then even the mother xenomorph in Alien, Alien yeah. is, is on par with that kind of villainy. Yeah. So then you make a choice, right? The choice is we can show how this thing comes into an existence, which mm-hmm. we get, and we'll, we'll break that whole thing down maybe. Well, we have to. Or we can choose to go this other route which is also the other villain in this that no one really talks about because it's really a financial villain. Wayland, and that's Wayland Utani. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know where Utani is. He hasn't joined the club yet. <laughs> also, just Wayland. Okay, yeah. so, and that's troubling too because back to the Star Wars example, mm-hmm. if Vader is all things evil, this yeah. big imposable force of evil there might be some, some ill players in the Senate, but I fucking don't really care. Yeah. And so I think Waylon slash Utani quotes around Utani mm-hmm. kind of is playing off with like this, this angsty trade route group in the Senate that no one gives a damn about. And some not decision-making with story. Yeah. But then the other thing too, that I, I keep coming back to, I watched this really hard. I watched this twice. Okay since we spoke. Okay. Cause I was really trying mm-hmm. to decode the engineers and I'm going to ask you for a favor in a minute when we get through this line of discussion, because I think it's important to lay this out for the discussion that we do going forward for the day. Okay. What choice did you have to make with Waylon Utani as a corporation other than the fountain of youth? Mm-hmm. I don't entirely think that's terrible either well, I mean, if you think about the xenomorph well, yeah and it kind of it, it kind of screws up the mythology of alien 2 which was their their right. whole thing was to weaponize it uh right yeah so i guess they fail here and they're like well we can't we can't be young we may as well make guns or bombs or whatever the hell they plan to do with these xenomorphs drop them in afghanistan or wherever i have no idea right exactly. yeah with a with little camera on their head like in jurassic world uh yeah yeah, that's the plot of that movie, ladies and gentlemen, is Vincent D'Onofrio dropping rafters in Afghanistan. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think it, uh, it's just, yeah, it's just the corporation in this film is so active and a part of the journey 
instead of being nefarious in the shadows and third person like they are in the first film. Like we hear, like we see them on a patch on Dallas's jacket. That's all we yeah. know of Wayland Utani in that in that first film. Here, they're right. a daughter uh, Wayland, and then old corpse uh, Prince Philip looking Wayland on the ship. Guy Pierce, you always forget he's in this movie. <laughs> Right. He looks, they, they look pretty similar. Kind of like most of <laughs> Guy Pierce's career after Memento, if we're being honest about it, but keep going. Yeah, pretty corpsey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Forgot he was in most things except other than a corpse. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The Iron the Iron Man 3. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think I, th- I think that is, is the problem. It's just like, yeah, are we exploring the origins of the xenomorph creation, which this film is like, yeah, I guess we'll do that. Are we doing Yutani like looking for the origins of life and species? I guess we'll do that too. And then you get these other two yeah. scientists in here who are like, oh, we want to know uh, about the origins of the species and where we came from. So we got like three plots converging here. And I'm and I'm sitting there in the theater. And I'm like, I thought this was an alien prequel. <laughs> right. I think that's a really well, really, really good way to put it. You have these three converging plots. And I'd like to believe that the development of the engineers is such that it's going to tie them all together. Because if you choose to travel down that road and, and tackle those three, those three themes, instead of how did we ever even just get a xenomorph, which would be a much simpler story to tell. Mm -hmm. If you choose to go down that, then that engineer character by engineer, I mean like the, 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 the populace of engineer, not a specific one, but that engineer character has to be, so well scripted and founded in concrete motivations that it leaves no question as to what this is about. And here's where things get a little bit even more murky. Let me finish one more thought, then I'm going to come back to this engineer thing for you. Okay. If we're drawing the corollary between alien slash aliens, and I guess for lack of frame of, or for frame of reference, Star Wars Return of the Jedi. Okay. Uh, or Star Star Wars, um, yeah. Empire. Let's say Star Wars. Empire. Yeah, Star Wars Empire. Yeah, okay. Then I think Star Wars Phantom Menace made the same mistake yeah. that this film is making. That's we're going to get you to how Vader shows up. It's down the road a little bit. We're going to get you to how the Xenomorphs become this sentient species yeah. that is hell bent on destruction and survival and consumption and, and mouse and KY jelly and sex and all those things. And we're going to tease all that shit out, but not in any way that you're going to care about because it's so far down the road Mm -hmm. that there's so many standard deviations between where we introduce you to Waylon Utani Mm -hmm. that we're going to have to give a lot of grace as an audience in getting to that. And whether that's, Supreme Chancellor Palpatine yeah. to the Emperor Palpatine to Vader, or whether that's Guy Pierce. I just want to discover the Fountain of Youth and these engineers because that's the name we've given them, so they must have engineered our DNA. Yeah. What? Yeah. I think you and I th- think it's you and ambitious. I. Yeah, it's. I think it's the execution. I think you and I, as film viewers and fans of these genre films, like I think we would be down for like, yeah, I might want to know the origins of Darth Vader. And then we saw how it went down. Like, yeah, not if you're going to do it that way where he's so whiny all the time. And he's supposed (laughs) to be this great warrior and pilot. And he was a good friend to Obi-Wan. And then it's just like, it's just, it is what it was. And same with Rob Zombie's Halloween. I might be interested in if done well, 
How does Michael Myers go bad? And it's not white trash, Sherry Moon Zombie and William Forsythe. I can tell you that much. So mm-hmm. I think it's mm-hmm. the the roads that these prequels are deciding to take. Uh, I think Batman Begins and Casino Royale are good examples of how to do an origin story. Um, but they had kind of, you know, pre-existing content to, to kind of, you know, draw from. Here we're kind of doing spec prequel ideas that are... You know, I think we're really banking on people are going to come see this because they love aliens so much. I mean, that's why I'm there. One of the writing things that you and I always try to adhere to is in a scene, get in late, get out early. Yeah. Like get to where the teeth and the meat of what's important in that scene happens and then get out before it becomes exhausting. I think this movie suffers from the exact opposite. Get in way too early. Yeah. Way too early. Yeah, too, too, too early. And get out way too late? Yeah. You know what I think the approach is uh, to doing this idea? I'm going to sour mash just a little bit. And then let's talk about this engineer. <laughs> we'll talk about the opening scene of the movie. <laughs> Yeah, I hope you got some sound on that too. Uh, I don't, but uh, there there is no sound other than him gurgling black goo. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, I think the approach is similar to another film that I didn't kind of care for just because it was too similar to the uh, 82 version, which was that thing prequel that they did in 2011 with Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Yeah. Uh, why don't you just do an alien movie where you see like Nostromo, like, like the first version of the Nostromo, go encounter this thing. And we've already proven in the 79 film that the aliens bipedal and the legacy and uh, uh, lore of this franchise is that anything this facehugger attaches itself to takes on the properties of that being. Like Alien 3, there's, you know, it, it gestates in a dog, so it has more kind of like dog-like characteristics. Right. So why don't you just have this facehugger attached to a human for the first time in its existence and takes on a bipedal uh, big chap uh, xenomorph for the first time? We don't need any of this engineered garbage. Good point. Yeah. And it's just like, this is the first time. And then they send out the distress signal, right? That relays back to the Nostromo and they say, hey, you have to investigate because the company says so. But their signal is, do not come here whatsoever. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's the movie. That's that's what I want to see. Not like oh my like this 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 engineers a poisoning self to to to, to poison this, this waterfall with this goo. Like oh man, don't even get me started on this goo, man. Well, I'm about to get you started on that goo. <laughs> Let's talk about that opening. Okay. We have to, and I'd like to tell you after two viewings and two days that I've got this down you know, in lockdown with the engineer's motivations, but it's even more murky now than when I started. Here's what we know about the engineers, and this is from the sound that I was hoping you'd have, which is Ridley Scott explaining why the engineers are so Mm anti-human. This is true. You can find it. It's out there. There's plenty of clips out there. Anybody can look this up. According to Scott, not an overly religious man, by the way, his statement is that the engineers are mad at mankind for the poor treatment that they've given Jesus, essentially the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. To see, that's we're going back to the end of BC. So 
when exactly did the engineers come to this moment in the stand that said mankind is not worth saving because of what they've done to this perfect entity that they then crucified. Mm -hmm. Second, what is destroying your own DNA and putting it into a water source going to do other than bioterrorist the human population? Yeah. If they drink that, Okay, I, I, I found I found it. Uh, it's, yeah, movies dot com uh, did this interview with Ridley Scott. I can actually do the question they asked him and then his response. The title of the okay. article is called "The Aliens and Prometheus Are Angry Because We Killed Space Jesus." Dude, I am out. I am so out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So here's what movies.com said. You throw religion and spirituality into the equation for Prometheus, though, and it almost acts as a hand grenade. We had heard it was scripted that the engineers were targeting our planet for destruction because we had crucified one of their representatives and that Jesus Christ might have been an alien. Was that ever considered? Question mark. This is Ridley Scott's response. We, yeah. defi- we definitely did. And then we thought it was a little too on the nose. But if you look at it as an our children are misbehaving down there, and that's in quotes, scenario, There are moments where it looks like we've gone out of control, running uh, around with armor and skirts, which of course would be the Roman Empire. And and they were given a long run, a thousand years before their disintegration actually started to happen. And you can say, let's, in quotes, send down one more of our emissaries to see if he can stop it. Guess what? They crucified him. Oh, dude. Oh, my God. I thought I was watching an alien movie, people. Come on. Those questions that we pose those three threads that this movie addresses. Mm -hmm. There's not a chance in space. Jesus's wildest commandments that that even remotely begins to address any reasonable explanation for any of those things. Yeah. This follows up with another question then. Okay. If he is admitting without admitting, yes, it was Jesus. Okay, that's what he said. Like, yeah. he didn't come right out and say, like, JC, Lord and Savior, Easter, Resurrection, but not that, but essentially, yes. When he's, when you Same say, idea. Yeah, when you say they crucified him, I think of one person and one person only. Loaded word, yeah. right? Yeah. <clears throat> what in the world <laughs> is that first engineer... <laughs> doing at the beginning it's that's way past the pax romana is that even earth i don't even know where that is or what he's you doing what I'm saying? i don't know if he's committing suicide if he's just like i'm out or i'm gonna contaminate this water stream with this goo and my dead cells like i do not know what is going on over there and then the cells in the opening title sequence they like form like a living cell Instantly, I'm just like, I have no idea what is happening here. Get me to space as fast as possible, please. Right. That none of that makes it. If, if this movie doesn't open up yeah. with that guy drinking that black goo, yeah. which will be introduced later in the film, mm-hmm. in, in plenty of nondescript fashion that doesn't make it any clearer, but just calls up to this setup that they have put in the first four minutes of film that has never really paid off. If that opening bit is not in this film, the movie does not suffer from that. No. I mean, there's going to be some some things in it that 
I actually do think work to us to a degree. Like, I don't I, think this I, is. No, I, I, I'll, I'll be, awful. I'll be honest. I think, yeah, there's, there's some, there's some good in here. Uh, but it, I had the that, same that I, opening, Jesse, you yeah. just like, okay. The guy's DNA, the engineer, we, we get these massive pale, incredibly David like crafted physiques. I mean, they're beautiful. The muscular on musculature on these, these engineers is, they're perfect. They're the, perfect. This okay. one, yeah, this one guy. Is, is this? Is that's got to be a Sue? That's that's not like a human, is it? Like, I mean, not like like someone's actual body. Like that has to be like a pre-made suit. If it is, I wonder who that guy's trainer is. Anyway, he's yeah, good, like he's doing well, good work. Well, when he drinks the goo and then he like strips, and I'm like, oh man, this guy's gonna show some dong or side dong or something. I'm like, what is this opening? It's just wild. And then he just dies and falls into this uh, waterfall. And we see the DNA in the water yeah. decompose to black nothing and then dissipate into ash, water ash. And then it rebuilds. What do we, how, what? I Matt, you, I, had this, <clears throat> I had the same thoughts watching this because I was like, okay, that opening, while beautiful, makes no sense. And yep. then we cut to uh, our two leads, uh, Shaw and Holloway, who are these mm-hmm. uh, anthropologists uh, anthropologists, archaeologists, and they're searching through ruins and finding cave drawings. And they, they, they found another one in their series of look at these people looking towards the stars. Uh, it's a map. They want to come find him. I'm like, okay, whatever. Uh, and then we cut to space. Finally, we have the title card, Prometheus ship, class a freighter, whatever. And then we get Michael Fassbender wandering the halls of this ship. Start the movie right here. People. Yep. Because Shaw and Holloway are going to explain what their drawings were in that opening uh, sound clip that I just played. Like, cut both of those scenes. You should save about 10 minutes and just start here on the ship like the original Alien uh, with us waking up, right? Yeah, because David riding a bicycle, spinning a basketball on his finger, watching old movies of various Hollywood types to decide what he wants to fashion his next look at. It's really pretty interesting. I do like that. Yeah, he's like pretty obsessed with Lawrence of Arabia. I mean, he's quoting it yeah. left and right, and he's swooping his hair like Peter O'Toole in that film. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, once we introduced it, and it, by far my favorite character in the entire film, and it's not just because I'm a huge fan of Michael Fassbender, but I've always been fascinated by these Android counterparts in this franchise, whether it's Ian Holm or Lance Henriksen, I think, the Android itself is an interesting creation because they are synthetic. Right. And here we are, we're telling a story about, you know, where did we come from this and that, or we built you, David. I mean, I am intrigued by that type of question, right? Like why go build something that looks just like us? Can we not procreate anymore? I mean, the film doesn't tell us any of those things. Like why did they start making these androids other than to be helpers and like science or like just like assistants, Right. He's essentially a C3. Well, He's a C3PO. He is. And if you are familiar with Alien, which most people were that saw this film and saw it for the same reasons you and I did, you see an alien having anything to do with intergalactic space travel that's sort of in charge and immediately you're like, oh shit, that thing is not up to any good. Mm-hmm. Because we've already laid that forth in the first film. Yeah. Meanwhile, while all that's happening, we do have a really good opening with with David and the crew that's still asleep. We're still thinking back to the beautiful David-like giant that decomposed his body 
<laughs> on the shoreline of whatever cliff that was in Ireland, if that even was Ireland. And I'm still trying to figure out exactly in time, how does that work? Yeah. Because when we, like as the movie progresses to get even more frustrated with these engineers and we, we have to discuss these guys because this is the crux of the film. Mm-hmm. Aren't they all dead? I would think so. And if this yeah. was, and if this was the last one that did himself in, was it to wipe out the species? Was it one final hail Mary attempt to wipe out mankind? Um, Cause we do find out later that they do not like us. They don't, they don't like humans yeah. despite the fact that we are from them. Mm-hmm. So when he put himself in the water, is that the DNA that spread far and wide that caused light? Like just, there's this whole nebulous of bullshit that's happening and you've posed more questions than you're ever even remotely going to even try to address yeah. in some manner. And then you just, haha, it's like, it's like a cock tease. Yeah. And then you leave that and you go right into here's David and it's hard not to take your eyes off fast better in this because he's so interesting looking. Yeah. Yeah. That, that bleach blonde hair and, He's so robotic yet so precise the way he eats. I love that scene when he hook shots that basketball oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on the bicycle. Like he may as well have been like standing on one hand. Like he's so proficient. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, I'm with you. And it's just, yeah, he's wandering the ship. He's alone, but it doesn't matter that he's alone because he doesn't need companionship because he's a robot. He doesn't need human interaction like we do. Right. Uh, no, I it's just I, I'd rather start the movie here. Uh yeah. When uh something I did forget in here when he's kind of going through I, I, maybe they're dreaming or maybe it's like a banked memory. I don't know what the hell's going on here. We get to see Elizabeth Shaw's dad, who's Patrick Wilson. Like I completely forgot about that. I did too. And we kind of learned that the mother died. And so she's, I guess that's supposed to set up that she's had this weird fascination with life and death ever since that. Uh, but then that, that's pretty kind of underdeveloped in my opinion, cause they, they try, they try to do two things with her that kind of, you know, have middling success, which was, okay, you're obsessed with death. You want to find the origins of the species. You're obsessed with these engineers. Great. And then we're also doing with her, I can't bear children. And then, yeah, I'm going to birth a child later in this film. Like it's too much, man. It's like do one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't say it any better. Um, you're absolutely right. Let's talk about the that rest being of said, yeah, go ahead. That being said, as frustrating as all this is, mm-hmm. it's hard not to still at this point at least be intrigued. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm taking myself back to 2012 in the theater watching this, and I'm like, okay, that was a weird opening, but we're here on the ship. I am willing to go along with this and see what they're going to present to me. Yeah, you're right. Be intrigued. Like, I think it's an interesting, you know, roadmap of like, okay, well, where are we going to go now? Mm-hmm. And then we get into some familiar territory. I mean, we're on the Prometheus title of the film. Uh, yep. We start awakening the crew. Uh, this crew's interesting. Uh, I forgot that Wong uh, was one of the members yeah. of the crew. <laughs> With his whole three lines he has in the whole film. But yeah, yeah, be- long yeah, before, he, before, he, before yeah. he blows up, yeah. Idris Elba, yeah. who might be my second most interesting character of this film because, to me, he's the space trucker blue-collar guy of the Nostromo. 
which was, I'm a pilot. I know how to fly a ship. Uh, my job is to get you there and take you back. And that dude, he's putting up a Christmas tree because he has to still celebrate holidays. Yep. Uh, I'm pretty, in, I'm pretty intrigued by that. Uh, uh, who are the other two? Uh, well, Charlize Theron, of course. Uh, and man, she's just so cold and cantankerous this whole film. Doing push-ups yep. angrily and just like angry at the assignment. If I hired you, then whatever, and this and that. And she's just so intense, this whole movie. Uh, yeah. And then uh, Logan Marshall Green as Holloway, who I just call him the poor man's Tom Hardy, which is a horrible description, but he looks just like the guy. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's been pretty good in, in a few films. Uh, he was really good in a film that I think I turned you on to, Matt, which was The Invitation, the um, the cult film uh, set, I yeah. believe, in the Hollywood Hills. Yeah, he's he's pretty he's pretty good in that movie. But, yeah. yeah, we awaken our crew here, and, yeah, we kind of, you know, find out what the assignment is. And it's like, yeah, we came here because we essentially followed a map. I guess these paintings have formulated some sort of coordinates or map with the a solar system that's similar to ours that has a sun. So this moon is the only one that could sustain life, whatever. It's just, mm-hmm. it's all thrown at us so quickly that you just have to take it. And this is the, the film's first big mistake. And back in 2012, I knew I was like, wait a minute, if we're doing a prequel, why are we doing this? The planet they're going to is named LV244. And in the alien universe, it's been established that the planet that the Nostromo lands on, the planet that they colonize in aliens, is LV-426. So we're not even mm. doing the same planet here. And I'm like, how do you yep. how do you make a mistake like that? Why would yep. you not set the prequel on the planet where the events of the series take place? Do you got an answer for me there? It's just... <laughs> No, I don't. I mean, they're going to work their way around it with that ridiculous scene where David ends up in the planetarium map just smitten with the lights around him, spinning like an idiot top as he picks up Earth and we see that there's this whole planet where the engineers are going. But that's a long way to get to just make it the same freaking nomenclature and call it the same planet. It's much, much, much easier if you do that. That seems like a no-brainer. And to piggyback on your argument of what you said of we start in too late – that you're telling me now for this series to get to where it needs to go, which is the Nostromo landing on LV-426 and uh, John Hurt getting an alien on his uh, face hugger on his face. Yeah. Th- this derelict ship is going to have to go and crash on another planet? Make it yeah. this planet, people. Come on. It, it, yeah, that's a really, really easy script decision that somehow they missed. Yeah, that was a red flag. I was like, oh, no. I was like, if we're... We're taking a long road to get there, a very mm-hmm. unnecessarily long road. And it's right here. It's the planet. I mean, essentially, the way this ship crashes at the end of the film is kind yeah. of in a similar position as to when Dallas, Kane, and Lambert find it in uh, the 79 film, right? All kind of crashed on like a craggy mountain. <laughs> well said, yeah. But no, uh, Shaw and Fassbender are going to fly that ship to uh, another planet? Like, what? <laughs> Because after all the events of this film, Matt, she hasn't had enough and she still needs more answers. I am going back to Earth and I am getting a cheeseburger as fast as possible. 
Worth right. You got it. <laughs> I am not sticking around after the shit I saw in this film. My boyfriend yeah. just turned into like a a, a a Skeletor and just be incinerated before me, uh, birthing a squid creature. Like, yeah, I've had my fill of of, of archaeology at that point. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go work mm-hmm. at a McDonald's. Oh, I don't even know where to begin with all that. Um, look, it's a mess. And we are not even out of the first act yet. Well, let's let's get let's get there. Let's uh, so you know we have established that you know you know Charlize Theron is you know pretty. That's and- terrible podcasting, by the way, Jesse. That's terrible. Here's <laughs> this. Just laid this out in front of you, Matt. Jesse, I don't even know what to say to that. It just sucks. Next point, like that's really, really. That's not what they taught us in podcast podcasting school. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it, I think it's just the nature of the film. I mean, I I, I, I can't remember what film. It I don't was. even know where to start with all that. Like, yes, I think yeah. it was the Eternals. We have to go back and listen to that one. But that film was so long, and I think we we got to the midpoint, and I think I just skipped over like four or five scenes in there because I just needed to get us to Act Three because who could <laughs> who could care? Yeah, exactly. But all right, uh, we kind of I think in in these scenes though before we go onto the planet we kind of feel that like Charlize Theron has kind of this ulterior motive and agenda. She has this yeah. like interesting, like med pod that they only made 12 of in the globe that like just heals you or performs surgery on you. We'll see it later in my favorite scene of the entire movie. Um, yeah. And, but she's so steely and cold that we're like, ah, there's something fishy here. Like there's always an ulterior motive with Wayland Yutani. Uh, <laughs> But once we get on the planet, and now we're in familiar territory. Now I have my my sea legs. Now I'm familiar with where we're at. And I'm like, okay, well, let's get into this thing. Let's climb into a pod. Let's climb onto this ship. Let's explore. And I really like this. Uh, I, l- I like the suits that they're wearing. They're very appropriate for, you know, they're they're lit in a certain way. They're very vibrant. They're very they're very kind of different. You can kind of see how they would evolve, you know, in the later iterations of this series. But I really yeah. like these. What does he call them? They're they're dogs. They're like these probing sensors that are going to go through these caverns. Is he calls them his pups? Yeah, the pups. Yeah, and they're gonna yeah, they're gonna essentially map this entire like cavern system. I thought that was awesome. I was like, what a cool use of tech. It looks cool on screen. And it's going to kind of like kind of see what this thing looks like. And it's vast to say the least, right? What they don't know, and I don't even think as viewers we know yet, I don't think we know that we're on a ship yet, right? Feels like a cave. Mm -hmm. Like it feels like a cave. But this is the trick of this film, right? For all of the story issues that we have, which is the most important element, let's be honest. That's the, the most important element. It's shot really, really well. Oh, yeah. And secondly, it's also acted really well. Mm -hmm. There's not a bad performance in this film other than maybe Guy Pierce, which (laughs) poor Guy Pierce. Okay. But, but even that, I mean, that's not so bad. You're like, whoa, this is, you know, shut the film off and give him a Razzie. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, these, these little flying spheres that map this thing with this red light are really cool because I think what it starts to give you is the false sense of hope that maybe the technology that this crew has come to this planet with Mm -hmm. might be enough to get over on what seems to be a place that feels rather prehistoric. Yeah. 
Yeah, they, they go There's in. There's even that really great line when they land, and yeah. it's, uh, Hall- is it Hollowell, her uh-huh. boyfriend? Holloway, yeah. Or her husband, when he said, God doesn't build in straight lines. Mm-hmm. When they find the runway, that this, that this, they don't know it's a plane or they don't know it's a spaceship. Yeah. But that's where we're going to land because God doesn't build them straight. Like there's, there's lots of interesting references in there to space Jesus. If you want to go there, <laughs> um, that's really well written. That's a really clever line. Like yeah. I kind of wish I'd come up with that. That's really, really good writing. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that really jumped out at me on this rewatch, and I've, I've only seen this a handful of times and, you know, I'll go back to it more to kind of just further feel out how I feel about this film and, why it doesn't work for me, but uh, the production design on this thing's incredible. The like I said, the yeah. costumes, the the sets, these caverns that they're in, and they're about to, you know, open up this like door, and this huge stone face is just going to be looking at them, very, very uh, like Roman looking. Uh, it's awesome. They did a really good job with that. But that's and you know that's one of Scott's strengths, and that's why that seventy nine film is so good is it it's a it's a it feels like a lived in world it it has texture it it's a light hitting light it's things beeping there's there's like life to these sets it's not just a cgi mishmash of garbage uh right. like a lot of films today are uh yeah it's yeah. it's an impeccably made film i can't i can't fault it for that uh so that there's two, uh, uh, so they're exploring here. It's getting a little dicey, you know, Holloway that they, they find a cavern and they find like water, right? Uh, yep. underneath like, like this cavern where the sun's beaming down on it. And they're like, I think we might be able to breathe this. So he takes his mask off much to the chagrin of everybody and <laughs> they find breathable air. So I, I think we're, uh, finding some answers and, Hey, these scientists or these uh, archaeologists might be onto something here. And then when they go into that room and they find all these canisters, right, is when you know things get a little more, uh, a little more dicey, right? Because don't they, don't they hit the, the the hologram and don't they see these uh, engineers kind of running in like some sort of like pre done memory or something? Yeah, sprinting at breakneck pace from something behind them. And the other thing too is they run as those holographic images run through them. Yeah you get the scope of how big those things are in relation to this little exploratory team that's on this planet in this, in this, what we think is a cave. Mm -hmm. Think about this for a minute, Jesse, if those guys are running at that speed and that size, what the hell's chasing them? And what do some things that are a third, the size have against that? Mm -hmm. But that's all really good stuff. That's solid. I mean, for all the problems we have, that's solid. That's an intriguing moment. Yeah. So they're they're running what, they're running from these squid things, right? Uh, it would seem to me yes, but the squid things—that's uh, a whole other issue. Let's wait till the cesarean <laughs> section before we get into that. Let's 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 not let's not go there yet. That's a, that's a well, that's a whole twenty-minute discussion too. Um, I, yes, I, they're I, running from something that is seems powerful. Uh, these two guys here, uh, I had a cool moment watching this cause I was like, oh, this would be me and Matt in this scenario. I was like, Fifield <laughs> and Milburn, uh, the, the more that they start investing and then they, they essentially find a, a one, a head of one of these engineers that they're like, oh, we're going to take this back to the ship. But these yep. two guys are like, look like this is getting a little too strange for us. We're out. Right. Out. And Bye. so these two guys just kind of take off. And in the best intentions to not meddle with things that they don't understand, 
they get lost in this cavern and end up with the like most horrific demise. And I'm like, that would be me and Matt. We would have the sense to like <laughs> leave the horrific scenario, and then we would be like, like just like fodder for this these squid things later on. You mean a life might be like instead of taking the car to a meeting with an executive that's turning a pitch on a script, you decide to walk in yeah. the heat of the day and yeah. then get to the meeting and six, drink about six cups of coffee? Yeah. Yeah, that exactly would be you and me. Who oh, the hell would ever do that? I know. I was watching. I was like, these poor guys. I was like, they were just trying to get out because they sensed that it wasn't something was amiss. And then the, they, they just got lost in these caverns, man. <laughs> But I'm kind of with them. Uh, I'd probably think the same thing too. Yeah, me too. This, when is, getting, that, this is getting a little too strange for opens, me. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. When that corridor opens and you see that big head, it's hard not to think like, well, shit, that looks like Easter Island. Mm-hmm. And so here's another thing I think that's, that is a nice moment for this film. When they stumble upon that room that's filled with those canisters and they're sweating and they're semi-translucent and you can see that there's something in there, it's close enough without being exact to the egg room in Alien. That doesn't have that layer of mist that seems to act as the uh, security system that tells (laughs) the eggs, like, open up and and ready to be fertilized. Yeah. But it's similar. And the question then is, did the engineers make those? Did they make them with the help of the biology and the organisms that they found on that planet? Or did they bring those with them? And you start to like, again, we're getting more questions Mm -hmm. about like, okay, it's like I, you know, melted his DNA and put it into a water source. And now that here's these canisters. And that's kind of like those eggs that, you know, we see in the very first alien and it's similar enough to where, you know, when you say, well, I didn't really think that was an alien movie. You can't, you can't, but say this is an alien movie. Yeah. I mean, these should just yeah, these, what, these should just sure. these should just be the eggs. Like, why are we screwing around with canisters of goo? And as far as I can remember, in Alien Covenant, because the goo comes back, I think yeah. they I don't know I think they find it right. And I think Idris Elba yeah. says this later. It was like he thinks this is something they found, and then they instantly regretted like what it like did to people or themselves. It essentially eats away at your cellular structure. Right. But why are we taking like? a super extra step to get to the thing we want, which was like, this needs to have like a vagina looking thing in an egg, but no, I got to go through the goo process and then I got to have it go into a squid and then birth from a woman and then onto an engineer. Like, dude, come on. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's too many steps to get from face hugger to birthed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just like, this should just, they walk in, that should just be the egg room, but they do get the head of one of these engineers and I'm like, okay, where's this going to go? Yeah. Now we're doing the thing and we're taking this thing back on the ship and we're going to dissect it and play around with it, but it essentially just dies out, right? Yeah, it doesn't lead to much of anything other than, oh my gosh, this seems serious, which I think we have already established. So once that head gets on the ship and they rig it up in a very, very similar fashion to the same kind of talking head that we saw in Alien, right? Mm-hmm. The thing that's alive with enough wires and, and synodes put into it we see this alien or this, this engineer head kind of come to life. It's eyes start blinking. Yeah. And then it starts devolving, evolving into what essentially looks like a bomb and they barely get it contained in time. Yeah. Now I'd like to tell you the movie's going to explain what got in that thing's head, but that would be a lie. <laughs> Cause we don't ever know what got into that thing's head. We do know that from time to time, something on this planet has burst out yeah. of engineers heads. That's, couple times that happens and that also happens in alien when they find 
whatever that engineer is on that um, uh, planetarium gun thing, right? Well, that's essentially, that's his, that's the cockpit, right? That's where he drives yeah. this, this ship, yeah. So, we, so we've seen this helmet before, and yeah, it's got this head inside, and yeah, we don't know why it died, I mean, unless it had had some residual goo on it or something. Odd. Yeah, <laughs> odd. I just thought of something else here, because this is going to take us right into our next scene. Um, I will play the okay. clip, and then we can talk about it. Right. I'm very sorry that your engineers are all gone, Dr. Holloway. I think we wasted our time coming here, don't you? Your question depends on me understanding what you hope to achieve by coming here. What we hope to achieve was to meet our makers, to get answers. Why they... why they even made us in the first place. Why do you think your people made me? We made you because we could. Can you imagine how disappointing it would be for you? To hear the same thing from your creator. Mm. <laughs> I guess it's a good thing you can't be disappointed. Huh? Yes. It's wonderful, actually. May I ask you something? Please do. How far would you go to get what you came all this way for? Your answers. What would you be willing to do? Anything and everything. Drinking too, I'd imagine. Here's mud in your eye, pal. I just kind of thought of something else, and I don't know, maybe a folly of this film. Maybe it is a mistake to reveal that David's this android so early on. Uh, Yeah. And... You know, because he is already doing kind of nefarious things. Like maybe he wakes up along with everyone, much like Ian Holm in the first one. And then we see him. I was like, well, why is David collecting a canister? And then why is he extracting it? And what's he doing with that goo? And why did he put it in that guy's whiskey? Uh, And we kind of know that then there's an ulterior motive, but we don't know he's a robot until that engineer pulls his head off. I think that would have been a great reveal. I think that's a really, really well said point and it makes that scene yeah all the more puzzling because if he takes out you know speaking to him like he's a lesser version of of life i guess Mm -hmm. the way he does in that by saying you know you're just a robot you don't have and he starts speaking down to him and that's from star mashing this speaking down to him and it's superior i'm science while you're just ship lackey or i don't know what i think it makes that all the more interesting. One of the things though, I think that this does seem to do is it should give one pause. Does David and all of his androidism experience anger, regret, jealousy, or comeuppance? Because boy, he seems a little bit pissed mm-hmm. at the way Holloman is sort of like, yeah, whatever. What do you know? You stupid robot. Like, and he even kind of asked him that question yeah. rhetorically. You know, how would you feel if somebody asked you that? Mm-hmm. There's there's a river animosity running through that droid. Yeah. You could yeah. feel it. Yeah, there's something there, yeah. 
Uh, but I don't know if the film has any more room to kind of explore like what that is, right? I mean, even right. Vickers, uh, Charlize Theron, like she treats David like shit. She's just he's just some lackey. Um, yep. yeah, it'd be, I think a, a pretty good reveal of, yeah, we realize, oh no, like this guy is like the, the sinister call agent of Wayland mm-hmm. and is going to do the bidding when no, no one else can, because he physically can. I mean, if this goo gets on him, it's not going to do anything. Right. Right. Yeah. In- right. Interesting. Nothing. But I, I do like this kind of twist that the film kind of decides to go into. And I wish we kind of went more of this direction and kind of leave the engineers in life and creationism at the door uh holloway and shaw after he drinks this tainted drink with goo in it they have sex and there's some dropped line somewhere around here i can't tell you where it is but we've learned she can't procreate right she's uh she's not fertile uh and so there's that whole deal and so they have sex and then instantly the next day we're gonna go back to the caves we're going to explore some more, but man, Holloway is in bad shape, right? Yeah. Bloodshot eyes, and he just looks lethargic, and David's like smiling wryly at him. <laughs> There's that great shot, too, when he looks in the mirror, and that little tentacle comes out the bottom of his eye. Yeah, at that point, you know what? I ain't, I'm not keeping that to myself, Matt. I'm telling someone, I'm telling... You know, my girlfriend. Medic, uh, medic. Yeah, yeah uh, <laughs> I just saw like a, a worm squiggle in my eye. I Can you take a look at this? I'm not going to just keep going about until like he withers into a husk later. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's, just all, it's, all, it's all pretty silly. Um, well, okay, so here's the thing though, Rob. Yeah. He's been poisoned with that black goo. Is the black goo related to what is in the canisters that's yeah. revealed by David a little bit later? And if yes. so, yes. how? Because the other thing that we've met is the swimming flower testicle vagina that's about to jump on the guys that are playing you and me lost in the, in the caverns of the ship somewhere. Correct. We've yeah. got three different things going on now. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's very busy. So the canisters have this goo substance in them. When David opens it up and extracts it, he's takes a little corpuscle or a, a little dollop and yeah. puts it, drops it yeah. into the whiskey and gives it to Holloway. Yeah. Meanwhile, you and me are lost in the caverns and then they're attacked by squid, squid people. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I understand, too, is when we open up that one canister, and each canister has four compartments, and each one of those compartments holds a mass in there, that mass, that that gelatinous mass inside the singular compartment from the canister yeah, looks kind of like like maybe a shucked corn husk, right? Mm -hmm. Seems to be acting as one body that's all part of the same organism. Like, it's moving. Yeah. Almost like, but then if you take a piece of it, you turn it into the thing. Yeah. And now that, that's, that singular cellular structure becomes capable of doing in whatever it comes into contact with. It almost sounds, it almost sounds like an argument in the writing process, which was like, what should the origin of this alien be? We're like, Oh man, I think it should be this goo. It's like, I don't know. It needs to be this like squid thing. Ah, fuck it. Let's do both. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. You just got to where I was going. Yeah. Couldn't they just make a decision? Yeah. Because what this does, okay, so, all right, don't get that goo on you. Um, That's bad news. But around the same time this is happening, we go back to the ship and we watch our two fellows that are lost among the the caverns and 
you know, now in the middle of a storm and are going to be picked up tomorrow morning, Mm -hmm. come to an unfortunate demise where in the water that's flowing in the ship, a snake thing shows up and the one idiot says, oh, this is really beautiful. And we know right away it's not. At the end of that thing, go ahead. Essentially, they're the same thing, right? You know, if if the goo and the whiskey gets into the sperm and then he impregnates Shaw and she births a squid. I mean, it's the same thing, right? But why does, why does it, why is it a liquid form and then a solid form? Like at that point, I'm just, uh, I'm out on like what this thing is and isn't. I even understand why David would want to put that in the guy's drink, Mm -hmm. but a better play is David, instead of mucking this up with a dollop or a corpuscle, as you said, of this black goo, like have him, maybe this is the reveal for him being an Android too, Jesse, mm-hmm. is have him release the face hugger on the table unbeknownst to Hollowell and it jumps into his mouth. Yeah. Because we're going to see that happen in the ship to the one guy here just a moment also, like, yeah. We're all over the place with how these things contaminate, impregnate yeah. living organisms. Mm-hmm. It's, it's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, it's like we're trying to evolve and devolve the same thing in the same movie. It's just like, yeah, this thing's going to start from the goo, but it's really a squid. And then the squid's going to come from the human, so it'll have human DNA. And then that'll get onto the engineer just like, oh, my God, like... Yeah. Can I just have like go back to, and then, and then go back to this, Jesse. Yeah. We saw the images with the holograms of the engineers running through the hull of the ship being chased by something. There's not a way in the world Mm -hmm. that they were running from little water testicles. So were they running from like a big squid? Well, then where is it? Yeah. And why isn't that introduced? Mm -hmm. Because if you want to do that, which we're going to get, we're going to get the big squid later on. Mm-hmm. We're really going to get that. Yeah. Then, but nope, there, there's just no follow through on that. So everything that's liquid in this film is a contaminant, whether it's in the canister or whether it's in the water. And it makes you even wonder, do I, do they even need those canisters? You've got the ship yeah, just, and you've got the water in there. Why do you even need the canisters? Yeah, throw a squid at them. <laughs> yeah. Did, did one of the canisters spill? And if so, then, okay, not that you love that movie, but you get back to that bit in the Thing prequel where we see why the axe in the wall matters. You know, those callbacks are way better. They're, they're Way it's a, better. It's a way better road to get to the 82 film than this is. Because we still and, we got to get to another film in between this that still kind of doesn't answer everything for us. Oh, Covenant, yeah. Um, I don't know. We're just, we're, we're getting deeper and deeper into the mess of, what is and I, the Emperor Palpatine Phantom Menace of what will ultimately be Darth Vader? Yeah, and I think <sighs> I think Scott should have known better. I think he should have really went back to like 1979 and be like, you know, what made this film so memorable and impactful was how simple it was at the end of the day. Right, it's a simple villain that has an intricate lifestyle, but it's a, it's this cast of characters, and you want to just see if they're just going to dispose of this thing, like like organisms and spores and liquids and squids and engineers and space Jesus. And I'm just, I just, I'm pretty out in, in 2012 watching this. I'm like, what are we doing here? Like this, this is not like what was sold to us. And maybe that's my mistake for just 
hoping for something, but this is where I really start to turn a corner on the prequel and like, you know what? I don't think I need it. Yeah. Give me alien aliens and you know, shotgun the rest of the series. I don't need anything else. Cause those two films are perfect in my eyes. And this is just really muddling up the works. I like if I didn't need if I wanted to know where the Xenomorph came for, but not if it was going to be like this. No, I agree. Yeah, you're right. Let's get to that scene you alluded to it a, a little bit ago, which was David looking at the star field in that secret room. Oh, God, okay, yeah. <laughs> Lost in the glory and wonder of a planetarium, old David there, right? Yeah. I don't know if an android, okay, this you know, this is a running problem for me, would be able to experience joy or astonishment or wonder the way he does. Mm-hmm but he gets this illuminated map of what we come to find the path charted by the engineers of all the civilizations they want to destroy for killing space. Jesus. Mm -hmm. Did you hear what I just said? If you play that back, you're going to be like, what in the fuck are they talking about? (laughs) That's, that's the story. Okay. So if we skip the, but not before the engineer plays his little piccolo. (laughs) Yeah, true. Cause that's the key that opens it all up. Yeah, exactly. And David's just spinning around underneath the light like he's in some astrophysical disco. I I hate that part of the film. As much as I like Mm -hmm. that David character, and I really do, I like Fassbender a lot, just Mm -hmm. like you. Yeah. This is so silly. And the one that, of all the images that we see that has got to be this vast array of planets to go to, of course, we land on earth Mm -hmm. so the one image he picks is earth does david give a rip about earth yeah why does he care why does he care about earth yeah when he grabs like the little earth globe there's like this like like glee of like joy on on his face almost like this like satisfaction and think back to these other androids like henriksen and ian holm like those guys like they have one emotion and it's not until you're like watching the film and know their identity, you're like, well, that makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I think they I, I think this character works for me, but yeah, I, I'm kind of with you on on this one too. It's a pretty ridiculous scene. <laughs> so we kind of decide that these guys were going to go to Earth and just kind of wipe it out, right? Because we killed Space Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Holy crap! Which then would seem <laughs> to say that the engineer at the beginning of the film didn't put himself into the water source that was on earth. Yeah. So he's just in some other planet. Why do I care? Yeah. Like what? We it's do just getting, yeah. it's just getting so far out over its own skis. It's having a hard time getting ready to land anything. Yeah. He does find a, a living one in here and he's going to kind of keep that secret to himself. Yeah. Uh, but we do get this scene. I really like this. So um, Holloway is like in bad shape. He's like gooing out and his face is changing and he's convulsing. It's just a mess. So they got to get him back to the Prometheus stat and get him in, I guess, that med pod. He's not coming on board. Pickers, Come on. this is a sick man. I can see that. That's why he's not coming on my ship. Ah. Ah. Get over here. Ah. Ah. Please, we can stay 
Help yourself. Everybody but Holloway back on the ship now. I won't leave him. Then stay. Wait a minute. We can contain him. Put him on the melt pod. Please don't do this. It's okay, Ellie. Vickers. What are you doing? I love you, baby. I love you. No. I'm telling you, stay back. No, do it. No. Stay back. No, no Johnny. Do it. No. They light this guy up. Yeah. And something I think, you know, you know, Ripley, if she would have been able, able to, uh, yeah, torch Kane, but don't let him on the ship. Don't break quarantine. But then she just gets overridden by Ash. Right. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I think that's a good move on her part, but you know, there's like multiple sources of infection in this film. It's not just Kane and this thing sneaks on board. Uh, Mm -hmm. Holloway was infected and, uh, uh, you and me are walking around infected out there. Uh, yeah. And then Elizabeth Shaw is infected with uh, this pregnancy inside. So mm-hmm. we're just getting it from all angles at this point. It's everywhere. But we do get to this scene. So, like, you know, Fassbender does this scan of her and says, he's like, oh, man, you're pregnant. And she's like, that's impossible. There's no way. Did you have sex with Holloway recently? Yeah, eight hours ago. This thing is three months gestated. She's like, that's crazy. Uh mm-hmm. And so I think she kind of realizes there's like a, a weird, strange anomaly. And it, I think it starts to hurt her. So she's like, I got to go get in this, uh, this, this med pod. And this is the coolest scene of the, I don't want to say cool. It's pretty horrific, but this is in 2012 and this rewatch. I was on the edge of my seat watching this. This is pretty intense stuff here. Yeah, I agree. Yeah this kind of incision that it, it has to make it like she gets in this claustrophobic pod and it starts cutting her open. And then this squid thing comes out. And I think that the, the part that gets me the most is the stapling of her Staples. stomach back up. Yeah. That's wild. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that? I think, I think it works because we're in familiar territory. I mean, this may as well be the chest burster scene of the film, right? What I really like about it is the way she uses the pod is not how it's supposed to be used. Mm-hmm. Like she goes in with the ideal cesarean section. The pod says that it's built for males. Yeah, and as I the as the audience won't. as the audience were like, "Oh my god, I can't handle another twist in this movie." <laughs> she has to go with Plan B, which is extraction of foreign body. Oh yeah, Whew. yeah. So yeah, that's a little bit different, and there's uh, going to be, I think a heavier price to pay for what it does to you than like not a cesarean section is easy by any means, but you know, the choice is that or birth this thing and God only knows what that's going to do. What's great about it is, yeah. And I'm with you on the staple part. Just watching that is awful as this thing is desperately trying to get out of her. She's trying to get these tools to get it out of her before it destroys her abdomen. Yeah. And what has she got? Two little epi of, of uh, tranquilizers or painkillers, and that is it, man. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah, yeah. That seems awesome. That seems awesome. Yeah, I, I remember really liking that, liking that when I saw it, and that it still plays really well because it's it's very alien. It's it's the dinner table scene where this thing comes out and it's a foreign mm-hmm. body, and it's just like, well, that shouldn't be coming out of a human, right? Uh, you know, she locks it in there, and I think you know, as the audience, I think like, well, that's the end of that. She froze it or whatever, and when we come back, man, this thing's due to talk about a giant squid, man. Which should give you pause over where is it on the ship that the engineers are running from? Because if it grew that fast on the ship, mm-hmm. 
it's got to be the size of, uh, yeah, well, anyway, we keep going back. Yeah, right. So, yes. Well, not to go back to the very beginning again, but when he drinks that goo and it disintegrates his cells, like, what's squid-like about that? Like, what what, what is this organism? You can't take a squid and turn it into non-existent DNA. There's nothing there. Mm -hmm. Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. Yeah. So what do you (laughs) think? What a mess. Yeah. Frustrating mess. Yeah, well, we're, we're finally getting to some bits here. I mean, we, we got kind of like this thing-like moment with uh, Fiefeld or Farfield or whatever that guy's name is. We'll just call, mm-hmm. him, we'll call him me or you. Uh, okay. Or he, he comes to the, the ship and he's all mutated, right? And mm-hmm. I think we have a lot of extra characters in this film that we just didn't know that existed until then. And it's just to kind of kill him off in this docking scene. Yeah. But, yeah, we kind of got a big mess on our hands, not only uh, story-wise from our perspective, but just these characters have, like, all their crew are biting the dust. Uh, We got people sick. This woman just pulled the squid out of her stomach. And then we're about to get, I think, the most odd uh, choice in here, which was, oh, uh, Mr. Whalen's been on uh, this ship uh, the entire time. Yeah. You're on the ship all this time. Why? Well, I... I only have a few days of life left in me here. Don't want to waste them until I was sure that you could deliver what you promised. To meet my maker. There we are, sir. Nice and clean. Mm. Haven't you told him they're all gone? But they're not all gone, Dr. Shaw. One of them is still alive. We're on our way to see him now. What? Turn me around. You convinced me that if these things made us then surely they could save us I stick they'll save me anyway save you from what? death of course stand me up I'm all right Yeah, so here we get your your fountain of youth thing, right? Wayland's whole kind of plan with this endeavor is to see if we can find a way to sustain life because this guy's about to bite it. Yeah, if, this, if these things created us, then they must know how to sustain us. Yeah. Okay, so we're back to the engineers, despite all of these other moving pieces of, of poison viral... What, and shit. The thing I really do like about that scene, and you know, if we want to talk about like kind of the religious elements, is there's that scene yeah. where David's washing his feet, which always just seems very saint-like, right? Yep. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Just like you got to cleanse the feet. It's you know if, if, that that felt very, and he's all in white, almost like a white like shroud, right? Yeah. I thought that was interesting, and I was like, you know, I would be willing in a, not this film, but another film that's a different science fiction movie, I'd be willing to go see where like the, those types of ideas go. But now he I'm trying to that a little bit with the David character when he yeah. makes Shaw give up her cross. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're clearly playing. Look, at that scene is obviously washing the feet of the anointed. That's clearly what that is. It has to be. Um, the question is, if Guy Pierce is playing the role of the Messiah and David is John the Baptist, then 
who's playing the role of Mary Magdalene and like, we're going to play it out or who's Judith, all those other things. Uh, and I'm with you. I like that too. I like the idea that you're playing in that, that, that space because that does seem fairly germane to creationism and, and life and death and, and where do we come from and what is a God, like all that stuff plays for me. It's just so shoved in with all of this other stuff in, in a little too quick. Yeah. The whole thing's handled in like three minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, I don't know if it gets enough time to really just stay inside the face huggery way that it should. Yeah. Yeah. That, that there's, yeah, just, just, just not enough time. And, you know, thematically, I mean, you know, we've talked about all these things, which was, you know, if they did kill Jesus Christ, then the engineers, you know, have an ex- before that they had the first expedition to create humanity. And then that leads to the creation of artificial life, which is David, who then kind of uh, introduces the, the liquid to Holloway, who then impregnates Shah and the resulting child impregnates the engineer right and then that that kind of creates the alien but instead of creating the going back to the engineer it's almost like we're like kind of like jumping back a pace what she births in that pod should just be the the face hugger right i mean it should right the evolutional strain should be complete at that point why are we going back another step and we're like wait we got we got we got we got to round it out again Yeah, it goes back to like immense size body hugger instead of just face hugger. Yeah, I got to tell you, Matt, if she was in that pod, did her little uh, object extraction and pulls out the face hugger, I might be singing a different tune on this film because then everything makes sense to me. I might be able to even roll with Space Jesus. (laughs) Maybe. That's a big if. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So we go back to the ship here, you know, you know, old cranky Wayland, you know, is looking for the secrets. They wake up this engineer and then, um, this ensues. I'm all right. I'm all right. Speak to him, David. Tell him we came. It's like he asked. Ask him where they're from. What are you doing? Ask him what's in his cargo. It killed his people. Sure. Enough. David. You made it here. And, and it was meant for us. Why? Sure. Enough. For God's sake, shut her up. Was it? <laughs> I need to know why. What did we do wrong? Why do you hate us? Is he over? Another death, sir. David, continue. Tell me why I came. I'm going to Yeah, he rips Fastbender's head off and then beats Guy Pierce to death with it. <laughs> yep. That, 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 that's pretty interesting. But here, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, gosh, they're dancing all around it here. The way this film's going to end up, we find out this engineer is going to essentially take the goo canisters to Earth and wipe out humanity because they killed Jesus. Uh, yeah. yeah. But... That's their plan. That's the grand plan. You're right. That's, that's, that's the grand plan. That's the plan. Now, if we go with what I just uh, suggested a second ago, which is Shaw births the first face hugger. 
uh, if that thing, you know, because he's going to take this ship, they're going to crash it. It's going to kill Charlize Theron in hilarious fashion because she doesn't know how to serpentine. I was like, oh my God, don't run in a straight line, lady. Go yeah. uh, five steps to the right or left. You're yeah, fine. something. Do, do a barrel roll or something. Uh, yeah. But uh, Idris Elba and Wong in heroic fashion are going to crash the Prometheus into this derelict spacecraft. It's going to crash on this planet. And then the engineer should be dead in that suit where we found him in 79, right? Yep. And then if this facehugger is yep. just floating around on the on the ground, you're not telling me that that thing doesn't make its way to the ship and then just lay a host of eggs in there? There's the prequel right there. There, there it is. Yeah. yeah, you got it. Instead, they're like, I, and here's the frustrating thing because Alien Covenant, I think, did get a little bit closer to what I was wanting from this film. But even at the end of that one, I think there's still at least another film before we get to 79. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do too. Anyway, yeah. What do you think of the, what do you think of this finale here? As you know, this this spacecraft's lifting out of the ground, and I think this is when we first realized, like, oh man, this is a, a, not a cave; it's a ship. Like, how do you think how this all wraps up here? Yeah, I like that they have to take this ship down. Otherwise, all the things that are on there are going to be spread throughout the galaxy and universes, and and anything that resembles life is going to be wiped out. I also like that um, this this ship is a really unique shape. A flying U, but that's a that's a very interesting ship well, design, and it makes you wonder how exactly it flies. Think of it. Well, think yeah. of how I always thought of this ship, Matt. It's the birthing canal. It's the fallopian tube. Okay, I love that. That's really good. Yeah, that's really good. Um, the problem lies therein, though, when the ship crashes, which taken down appropriately by Idris Elba and Wong this rolling timber effect that these two scientists can't seem to understand that if you just like run right or left <laughs> instead of straight, you're okay. Oh yeah. It's, I don't know. That's pretty bad. And then, yeah, you know, Bryce Dallas Howard running from the Indominus Rex or whatever in those high Hills oh. is, 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 is pretty hard that both of these are like, maybe we should take another crack at this to make a little bit more believability people. Yeah, exactly. And they could have killed Vickers in the crash. They, there's a million ways they could have done it. You yeah, know? Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, we're, we're getting to the final showdown, if you will, that we really never even knew was coming, which is the final engineer versus Shaw, which I guess that's what we've been waiting for, I, I, I guess. Between uh, Shaw, Shaw and Squid. Yeah, and the engineer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem with all that is the engineers have had such a little time on screen. The movie really is now starting to suffer from active antagonists. Now you have, you know, the face huggers and the black ooze and yeah. all of those issues, but without giving any of the antagonists actual dialogue. Yeah. And not that I want, here is my manifesto for destruction that I have to tell every hero before I kill them. Yeah. A, a little of that goes a long way, but none of it goes nowhere. And making the engineers inaudible giants, mm-hmm. I think, is a little bit of a mistake. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, it's almost like we see too much of them where 
Mm-hmm. You're right. We we don't see them enough, and then we see too much of them. We're just like none of it really makes sense. Are they the villain? Are they the the hero? Are they the our gods? Are they our creators? And I don't think we ever really get the answer. Nope. And I want to say we get a little bit more in Covenant, but it's been a long time since I've seen that. I I just remember liking that a little bit more because it was a little bit more what I wanted this time out. Maybe that should have been the first film, and then not even have this one. Yeah, that's you probably more akin to what we both wanted. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about that same movie too. I'm like, gosh, do I want to actually go back and give I, Avon I, and Alien Covenant a, a rewatch? I might. Maybe. I think the cast in that one's pretty good. Danny McBride and Billy Crudup in that one. Like, yeah, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, I might dive back into that. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, okay, so they fight the engineer in the, the med bay. The squid thing attaches itself to the engineer, and you're like, okay, what's it going to make now? Uh, Shaw escapes, but not before going to retrieve Fastbender's head because he says he knows how to re-pilot or he can like rig up the ship. He knows how to turn it back on, and we can fly it. At, and we can fly it out of here. My my head. Uh, mm-hmm. and like I joked about earlier, like I would cut my losses and go pig out on some good eats back on Earth. You know, Shaw and Fastbender's head are gonna traverse the galaxy looking for more. Get out of here. To go save the universe from this destruction, I suppose. Oh no, hard pass. I mean, hard, I mean, yeah. and yeah, how come yeah. the sequel wasn't called Prometheus's? Promethei. Yeah. Oh, there you. Go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Just how I always liked how Bill Hader he wanted to call or he joked. He's like the sequel. It's not it chapter two. It's it's. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was good, but yeah, I guess they're going to go search for more answers. And as the audience, I was like, I guess I want to know a little bit more of where they, they want to go. But as me, Jesse, the viewer in 2012, I was pretty far out at this point. And then they kind of sort of redeemed themselves a little bit with this stinger scene, mm-hmm. which is this, very more xenomorph-like creature coming out of the engineer and then yep. kind of having that double protruding mouth um, coming out of it. But at that point, it's a little it's a little too little too late for me, right? Uh, Bipedally created from the engineer that it sucked into the med bay as a large squid. Okay, I guess through the DNA that... Look, it's been set up. They brought the DNA into this movie and, and like... It, it takes the shape of, or the semi shape of, of whatever it face hugs or body hugs in this case. Yeah. <laughs> I just wonder, Jesse, if this was at the very end of the movie, somebody said, "Hey, wasn't this really supposed to kind of be an alien film?" And oh, this seem, maybe it seems like an af- it seems like an afterthought to you. This got sort of shoehorned in. Uh, it sort of feels like it. I mean, yeah. I'll, I appreciate the shoehorning in because it, it kind of, on initial viewing, it kind of gave me, you know, what I had been searching for that entire time. Yeah. But the road to get there, and I think at the end of the day, the thing that really, I think, breaks the film for me, it's, I think it's all the stuff with the engineers. It's just, if if I get all of that out of here and it's just a black goo squid movie, I, I think I'll, I think I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I would agree with you. you just don't need all the rest of the that. Engineers are engineering life and creating Jesus, and then destroying <laughs> life, destroying themselves. Uh, yeah, they're albino looking, but they look like the you know the statue of David. Like, 
<laughs> we're doing too many things with them, and you're right. I don't. I don't know if I could, are they, is Fastbender the villain? Is Vickers? Is Waylon certainly seems like a villain, but then the engineers are kind of the villain. Yeah, there's too many, and none of well, and the other villain is just the organic aliens that are waiting for them on that planet. And I, I still to this day don't know if that is or it's just the planet. I guess it's on that ship. Did the engineers find those things and bring them on the ship to use the resources on that planet to make those canisters? Did they find those organic things on the planet, kidnap them into canisters to take them to other worlds from that ship? Or is this all just some random occurrence of events where the engineers just happened to land, which I don't know why they would go to this planet anyway, happened to land on this planet, found these things, ran into a shit show. Like, From what and I, what does any of that have to do with the engineer at the beginning of the film? What does any of that have to do with any of that? From what I can remember of Covenant, there is a scene where like one of these engineers opens up the canister and then kind of like throws it on like their race, their people, and they all just die. Yeah. Uh, so I guess that was the test. <laughs> the test from, hey, let's see what this goo does. And they just wipe out their entire race. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, you're right. But yeah. even, even that's messy. At the end of the day. That's the rain, right? Isn't that the rain that falls on them? Yeah. At the end of the day, this yeah. is a xenomorph alien film. And that's just, that's just not it. That's just not, those aren't the answers I wanted. And, you know, I had a real come to Jesus, uh, a real come to space Jesus moment watching this movie. <laughs> which was, I think I was okay on not seeing prequels uh, if they were going to be done like this. Um, now there's always exceptions to the rule. Like I said, like it, it's finding a unique way in that, you know, completes the story, but not, not doing this where we're, we're opening up more Pandora's boxes and not really explaining like what's inside them. Uh, I'm not, I'm not into that type of storytelling. I, you said it so well at the beginning of, of this, this episode, getting in so late that we have so much catch up to do to the stuff that we do want that we're not even going to get a chance to get there because everyone else is, is bailing. Like, I'm not the only one, like, you know, yeah. how come there hasn't been a sequel to covenant since that film came out? Right. Right. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's, you know, we talk about this sometimes too, and this is maybe the case as much as, Alien is loved by people and more story wanted to be taken and, and monetized and, and entertained with. Sometimes one's just enough because that's just the story. Yeah. Let me, let me read a couple, yeah. a couple little, a couple little things here. Yeah. Uh, in June, 2012. So this is when the movie comes out. Linda, Linda said that, well, plot elements were deliberately left unresolved so that they could be answered in a sequel he and Scott had thoroughly discussed what should be resolved so that Prometheus could stand alone as a sequel was not guaranteed. I don't think they accomplished that at all. I think there's a lot of stuff no. left undiscussed that this, I don't know if there's a complete story here because of all these hanging threads. About the only thing I think that's answered is how the xenomorph got to a bipedal state. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. That's yeah. the only thing that's answered. Yeah, when your lead character, Shaw, says at the end of the film, I'm still searching for answers. Yeah, you didn't answer the questions. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, this film had a pretty interesting viral marketing campaign that was kind of built all around, all around the Wayland Corporation and David, and so they released a lot of videos as if it was like a real corporation, and I really like stuff like that. Like, We definitely mm -hmm. don't do a lot of that today. And that seems like a missed opportunity, especially with like social media and like YouTube. Like, 
I think companies could like really lean into like how they get a movie's, you know, trailer out there or like clips in, in, in kind of a creative way. You know, Dark Knight, yeah. Dark Knight did that really, really well. I think I've, I've told you before that there was like a number you could like, uh, if you, you know, sent like a, a text to this number, you would get a call from Aaron Eckhart as Harvey Dent, kind of like, like a political call saying to vote for him. Really? It That's was, awesome. it was so cool. It was just like an interesting way to kind of get into the world of that film before the film even came out. Mm-hmm. Like, why aren't we doing that? Instead, we're showing trailers that give away the entire plot of the film. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, I'll get off that little soapbox there. Uh, <laughs> no, I think that, yeah, the, the genius around like marketing is around films. You'd think for as creative as making movies is. Yeah. That we do something that's a little bit less on the nose than make a trailer and show the whole film. I mean, these companies are spending 250 million, double, like equal amount of the budget of these films to market them. That's trailers, Mm -hmm. TV spots, you know, toys in some instances, you know, uh, merchandise. Yeah. Lean into the, into the online marketing. Cause I think they could do, I think you could do a lot of fun stuff with that. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, Here's the thing that kind of blows my mind. I think Alien at the end of the day was a pretty cheap film to make. It couldn't have been more than $10, $10 million. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe less. The budget for this film, $130 million. Yeah, yeah. What, what are we doing? I mean, that's that's kind of a little too high for a film of this type. R, rated R, uh, you know, space kind of epic i mean we're not doing star wars i mean it's it's still alien right uh yeah yeah 403 million dollar gross uh i think maybe it barely broke even after all these you know like ancillary costs Mm. uh i think that 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 kind of blew my mind that seemed like a lot of money to spend on this type of science fiction film the set that they used obviously was part of the cost because it's in ireland or wherever the hell they shot it Mm -hmm. it's very lush yeah and so I think that the world trekking from A to B is probably a significant amount of that cost. And it makes you wonder, could they have done it a little cheaper? And I'm glad they didn't just choose to go like desert or, you know, whatever was kind of cheap geographically or environmentally. Yeah. But, uh, you know, one of the things that does work in this film is the look and the costuming. It mm. feels like you said, the world is built well. Yeah. He always does that really well. Mm-hmm. This feels like whatever LV planet we're on, it feels like that planet, whatever that planet is. Mm-hmm. Two, four, four. <laughs> but it's ex- yeah, but it's expensive. It's expensive to pull that off. And yeah, you and- put so much into that and you forgot to tell me a story that matched a third <laughs> of the coolness of the location. I know. Yeah. 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 I think a lot of people, yeah, I don't, I'm, I think it had, this film had some good buzz when it came out, but I don't know. Maybe when people realized that, like, they got a little bamboozled, it was like, it's really an alien film. It's kind of like a creationism story. Like, I'm out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but before we wrap up, a couple questions for you, Matt. Uh, what's your favorite tasting note, scene, sequence, moment of Prometheus? The cesarean section. Yours, the same one that you had. That one's awesome. Watching her go through that's crazy. Yeah. And then the other thing, too, we didn't mention is, she can't get out. It's in there with her and she can't get out. Yeah. She's like wrestling with it in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah I think maybe I'll pick one that for that and my, Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's, it's truly a great suspenseful sequence and it is an, Oh my God moment of 
geez, like this is a horrific circumstance to be in with this foreign entity that was in. I mean, the real horror is like when she pulls it out and was like, oh my God, that was in me. And now I'm yeah. stuck in here with it and I'm like bleeding out and oh, just like she's all yellow from like, ah, oh, it's just, it, that, that, that whole scene's a mess in, in the best way possible. Yeah, good horror. Do you have an oh my God or is it dancing around? No, that? I do. It's, it's when those guys are stuck in there or lost in the ship. Oh, us? And yeah, when you and me are lost in the ship and the guy gets his arm broke. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then that snake thing runs up his arm into his little helmet and then jumps down his mouth. That's pretty terrifying. Well, the other thing we felt to mention about the, the squid thing is uh, that other guy tries to cut it off and it bleeds acid on his helmet. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there's the xenomorph stuff. I mean, just make it that. It's just uh, We didn't need to add a, three other elements to it. Right. Who's the master distiller on Prometheus? Oh, gosh. Michael Fassbender for me, probably. That David character is pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. It's hard to play straight like that. You know I mean? Hard to play emotionless, cold, and straight. But with a hint of anger in there. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give it to him. How about you? I kind of want to go the same. I think, he's, yeah. I think he's really good in this. And we haven't done a lot of his films. You know, we did In Inglorious Bastards. But, uh, yeah, he's pretty terrific uh, in, uh, in, in, in the right roles, like, he did that Assassin's Creed video game adaptation. That was kind of a disaster, but mm -hmm. I think he's really good. And he has this interesting gravitas. I play, he plays villain. Like I, I think I've said many times on this podcast, his Magneto's incredible. Agreed. Uh, but yeah, I think he plays robotic and monotone pretty well. His look is very off putting. Uh, uh, when he has his head lopped off, I'm sure that was a lot of hours in the makeup chair to just lay there. They make this head sculpt of you. Um, yeah. yeah, he's pretty He's pretty good. And then all of the people across the board on the production team for building sets, costume design, uh, just making this world, the, the concept artists uh, pre-visualizing a lot of this stuff. Yeah, they, they, they did a great job uh, on the look of the film. Agreed. How are you going to rate and grade Prometheus? We have Rock Gut, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. Where are you going for this one? Oh, this is hard, Jesse. Uh, this is not a rot gut film and it's not even a call film. For me. I think it's better than that. Despite the way we've hammered it. I think it's, it's singularly unique in what it tried to do. Mm -hmm. So if there's such a category as single barrel awful, <laughs> that's, that's maybe what this is. Like they, they went to a really ambitious, dare I say far fetched, prequel mm -hmm. to one of the most important films of all time. Yeah. And yeah. while using some of the pieces from that film that worked and made you familiar with alien slash Prometheus and the similarities in those two told a story that was unlike anything I had expected to see about alien. Yeah. Look, man, that's a pretty unique effort. I mean, that, that doesn't mean that it's good. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could try to finish bourbon in a tequila cast too. And it might probably will taste like shit, but it's unique. <laughs> so I, I don't know if that's a category. It is. So if it, it isn't, then it, it, it could be. It is today. If not, and if that's just too in the nebulous, then I think it's just, it's just call minus. Mm -hmm. It's really well made. I do think it's there. 
it's made very, very well. They took the time to tell whatever story this was. Mm-hmm. They certainly put enough money in to get the look right. Yeah. It's cast excellently. Mm-hmm. For all the times I said you can't put lipstick on a pig, this is a really nice shade of lipstick on this pig. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So somewhere in between those two, I guess for posterity and being able to understand things and not just making stuff up, I'll go call minus with a bullet. I don't know. Yeah, call minus. I like your single barrel awful. That's that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, okay, we can go with that then too. Yeah, I'm I'm good with it. I'm just in I'm I'm in Welltown. Uh, I'm with you. I think there's worse alien movies like Resurrection and AVP and AVP Requiem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Predator. That whole universe of these creatures and whatever's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's way worse. Uh, well made. Well acted, well cast. It, just, it looks great, but man, this this story is just all over the place. And you know, there might be some sci-fi people out there that like can really get behind a lot of this stuff and like can really get into the weeds with it. But at the end of the day, I think it's the antithesis of what made Alien so good, which was yeah. simplicity. And you know, you know, going the route of the thing might have been a better idea, which is just like, let's just show the first encounter of this thing and show how it kind of evolved from this, you know, you know, face hugger thing into a more bipedal human. It just needed to Mm -hmm. lop onto a human. It didn't need to lop onto an engineer that was killing humanity for killing Jesus. Like that was just a bridge too far for me. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's just, well, I've seen it a couple times. I'll, I'll watch it. I'll watch it more. Um, but yeah, I was pretty disappointed uh, in 2012 when this when this ended. I was like, you know what? That was just not what I expected at all. And you know, <laughs> that was that was just that, that's happened before, right? I mean, you and I have seen mm-hmm. many movies that we anticipate and they just don't deliver in the way we think they are. And part of it was my fault. This kind of built up notion of what it should have been, and I just didn't like the answer. And that's you know, this was the story they wanted to tell. It wasn't the story I wanted to see, and that's. How can I change that? I can't change that other than I'll just go watch Alien instead and be really happy. Yeah, this is glass. Yeah. Isn't it? This is glass. Yeah, yeah. It's very similar, very similar situation. Yeah. 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 I like your rating. That's good. Solid. Yeah. Well, let's wrap this thing up with a nightcap. Alrighty, we teased it out a little bit in the flight and throughout the episode, but here we go with the opposite of the flight. Uh, our top three worst Ridley Scott films. Three, three, two, two, one, one. Checking in in 2001 for me, Hannibal. Didn't need it. Kind of didn't want it. Mm-hmm. And when I got it and saw it, I was appalled. Uh <laughs> Hannibal's a great character. We all love him. This is a stupid movie. And this is actually better than like Red Dragon and some of the other shit that follows. Mm -hmm. But it was a preposterously stupid. Yeah. Hawk need reheated. 
bullshit, let's make some money on this character film, and I have no idea how this movie got greenlit. Yeah. None. That's number three for me. Can you imagine what two and one are going to be? Ugh. Oh. What's your third? Oh, Hannibal, I'm going to feed you to my pigs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, I rewatched that one recently, and yeah, I think yeah, the, the biggest problem is like that film's following a true masterpiece of psychological yeah. horror, and you know, when Jodie Foster doesn't even want to come back to play ball, I mean, <laughs> we're settling for Julianne Moore, which, you know, she's okay in, but yeah, that story, much like this film is like, that's not the sequel I imagined for Hannibal, right? Right. Uh, my number three, uh, I don't, I can't remember which year, but, or, you know, yeah, 2010, uh, Robin Hood, a film that should have slayed Russell Crowe teaming up with, uh, Ridley Scott to do a Robin Hill, uh, a Robin Hood tale with Oscar Isaac and a great cast, but man, that movie is about as boring as a movie can get, uh, and I think that's a shame. I think that I think there's a lot of really uh, interesting things you could do with the Robin Hood story, and that ain't it. No, to make that boring is really, really uh, a true act of failure. So we're about to move into boring territory. Cause that's the word I would say for my number two film as well. Okay. Black Rain. Oh my God! Somebody <laughs> call me when the alarm clock has gone up. What a snooze fest. <laughs> Michael Douglas, Andy Garcia, and who cares about the rest in what is supposed to be, I think, a cop buddy noir. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. I've never seen it. If you haven't seen it, everybody, yeah. don't. You're going to fall asleep. Yeah. Or if you can't sleep, watch it. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, I, I've never seen it, so oh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Uh, my number, number two. Number two for you. Yeah. I alluded to it a little bit earlier. It's Legend. Uh, which is a shame because I think there's a great space for this high fantasy type of film, but uh, like Dragon Slayer, Matt, I would love to do this Dragon Slayer on the podcast uh, and we we could watch it because that, that film is just a lot of fun. But, the original? Yeah, the original, yeah, from like 84, oh, yeah. Peter McNichol. Dude, uh, we could do Dragon Slayer, Cole, and yeah, Beastmaster. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that, that's a pretty good little lineup. Or yep. like Excalibur. Ooh, yeah, yes. yeah. Like '80s fantasy is just so interesting because it was a lot of hit and miss, and there's not a lot of in between. But I rewatched Legend recently, and man, that uh, talk about another snooze fest. And you know, you got Tom Cruise and Tim Curry just chewing scenery. But man, yep. that story is just like Black Cauldron Light. It's just mm-hmm. uh, just not not worth the time. And it's kind of sh- there's a lot of interference there. I, I do believe there's a director's cut that might improve on it. But the theatricals like 88 minutes. Like <laughs> they're yeah. like end this thing as quick as possible. <laughs> Get this thing across the finish line. Yeah, we're done. With it. Uh, yep. Yeah. What's the yeah, number- good choice? Yeah. Um, that's a bad film. Doesn't make my top three, but that is also a bad film. Not as bad as this one, though. Okay. This one, I didn't even have to look up. You want to talk about water world levels of disappointment. And, in fact, it does take in, does take place in the water as well. Okay. Let's take something that historically could be really cool, which Ridley Scott seems to do from time to time and kind of screws it up often. Uh-huh. And make it the most boring adaptation of story you can ever come up with that is mr gerard depardieu in 1992 14 and 1492 yeah. conquest 
of paradise. Oh man. In my face. That. <laughs> I've never seen it. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Just you'll make it 10 minutes and you would rather go out in the backyard and pick weeds. It's so, so atrociously slow. Gerard Depardieu pulling off Christopher Columbus. I mean, my God. Yeah, that's pretty. That that's bad casting, right there. Bad casting. Yeah, yeah, yep. Great choice. Great choice. I was like, I was like, where are you going with that? I, like, it's, some of that kind of sounded like it could have been Exodus, Gods and Kings. Um. <laughs> yeah, that was in, that was a discussion in my mind, but this it, is so much worse than that. Okay, great choice. All right. What's your number one? My number one, it's been my least favorite Scott film. I don't know, though. I might have to see some of these that you're bringing up here. My rankings might change a bit, but, man, I do not like The Counselor. Uh, yeah. Speaking of Mr. Fassbender, I think that was this their kind of follow-up after all this alien stuff, which was, let's do this thing, and then have an original spec screenplay from R.I.P. just last week, Mr. Cormac McCarthy, great writer. Yeah. Yep. And just none of that delivers, you know, Javier Bardem's in a totally different movie. Brad Pitt's in a totally uh, separate movie as well. Cameron, <laughs> Cameron Diaz uh, humps a car in the thing. It's just, it's a movie about like, you know, he's a lawyer and then the cartels in it. And it's just a complete mess. And it's one of those, like, it felt like one of those like quota films from Ridley Scott, which was like, he, it sounded like he really wanted to do Exodus gods and Keens, but Fox made him do that first. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like a one yeah. for one, like you do for us. And then you can do like your passion one. Okay. Kind of, yep. I kind of feel like that happened again with like the last duel, which was like, okay, you can do the last duel, but you got to do it. You got to do house of Gucci for us. It's like, they, they almost like kind of go in, in tandem pairs, which was like, one's really good. And then the one's like kind of really terrible. You know, I, I don't want to get off this because um, I want to talk about your choice here for just a minute. But yeah. Did you see what Scott's reasoning for why the last duel didn't work was? Did you see his quote? No. Because the millennials on their fucking cell phones. That's why that movie didn't make any money. What? That's what? That's not why that movie didn't make any money. As that in has the, nothing to do with it. As in they were texting during the movie? Like, <laughs> they'd rather the grumpy old man get off my lawn. They'd rather be on their phones playing video games and they oh. would be watching this whatever actually yeah. actually you know what i have heard that quote before yes yeah i, I do remember him because that seems like ages ago i mean the yeah. movie didn't perform well because you know the box office was still trying to recover from covid uh right. and yeah this thing just kind of comes out of nowhere <laughs> yeah yeah blame the kids on their phones <laughs> i kind of i have to say though despite that i kind of did like that movie but back to the one that you didn't like yeah um you know it's is Ridley Scott just a really poor judge of property? Is, is, is that his biggest problem with what he chooses? Cause I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I do see it a lot of like, you know, one will have a lot of effort put into it, like alien and blade runner and yeah. And then like, or like Thelma and Louise and then like immediately follow Thelma and Louise with 1492. You know what I mean? <laughs> It's just right, like, yeah. yeah, it's just kind of like a, an in-between movie. Like I need to stay a little fresh, but like, I'm not like, I'm not like fully into it. I'm not like that invested in like what this is and what this, like, cause that's the, that movie, the good year where like Russell Crowe's on sabbatical or whatever the hell. 
Yeah. Like that's floating around in there too, around the time of like matchstick men and a uh, uh, body of lies. Yeah. And matchstick men is fantastic. So, mm-hmm. and like, I like, can't, I like the, Mar- I like the Martian, but then that's like, kind of like pigeonholed against some garbage too. Mm-hmm. I get one good, one bad, one medium from him. That's kind of how it goes. I guess, you know, you know, Hitchcock was kind of like that, right? Kind of was you're right actually that's that's fair with the exception of that 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 psycho period run there's yeah. there's some stinkers in there man and there's some eh, okay and they're like you dial in for murders eh. yeah right? he, yeah he but, yeah yeah he would do like yeah like shadow of a doubt and then follow it up with like foreign correspondent like what are you yeah. doing like <laughs> <laughs> right yeah well, yeah let me look yes yes because I've never seen White Squall either I need to watch some of these movies like I like I'm really good in his like historical like I like Kingdom of Heaven. Uh, American mm-hmm. Gangster, Body of Lies. Yeah, and then there's Prometheus, The Counselor, Exodus, Gods and Kings, The Martian, Alien Covenant. Oh, and then he had that All the Money in the World, the Kevin Spacey recasted movie. Yeah, yeah. Christopher Plummer playing the Kevin Spacey role. That actually, did you actually see that film? I did. It was it was fine. Kind of boring. Yeah. A little too long for me. Same kind of thing though, right? He tends yeah. to kind of sometimes make boring films and mm-hmm. like, well, this is not to do too much, but you know, that's one of my arguments against Blade Runner. Although I can yeah. appreciate the look and all that. Like I kind of think the film's sort of boring. Yeah. It's just, it's kind of boring. Yeah. It doesn't move like other sci-fi does at that time. It's, it's very different, but yeah, that all the money in the world, that almost seems like a movie that like Martin Scorsese would be better at making. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. His, his have a straight... couple people doing some lines of cocaine when someone walks in the door. Yeah. And uh, a couple people having sex in this back room and somebody having an affair and the girlfriend bitching at you and you got a Scorsese film. Yeah. yeah. And then you, and then you have yeah a smash cut to sunshine uh, sunshine of your love. Yeah. Yeah, maybe and maybe this Napoleon, maybe this is uh, is going to be kind of kind of the one for him. I, like it's a space he really likes, which is these historical epics. And uh, I mean, that's a that's a project that Kubrick could never get off the ground. So, do you know is this um, pretty much the entire story, or what what part of this Napoleon saga is this? Do you know is this the return from exile or this being exiled or do you know where this takes place? Or uh, looks like it's rise to power and then his relationship with Empress Josephine. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm sure they'll get into, you know, the revolution stuff too, but uh, yeah. yeah, we got that. We got that to look forward to. Def- I'll definitely check that one out uh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Uh, yep. But that's a capper on Prometheus, right? Uh, smile listeners. Just wait until you hear the other films going to be talked about in this cask. They, if you thought we would spend two hours on Prometheus, just wait until we get to some of the other ones. Cause there's mm-hmm. a lot to be said, but yep. in the, in between, I mean, we're smack dab in the middle of the summer movie season. We have big releases coming out and man, they just keep warranting a ton of conversation of just like things to dissect and get in the weeds with. So next, yeah. uh, yeah, for the, our next episode, we're going to head into the multiverse again, uh, with <laughs> our, <laughs> yeah, that seems to be an ongoing theme here, uh, with, uh, a look at the new release, the flash DC films, latest effort, uh, the return of the Keaton, uh, and the first feature film featuring the, the flash, uh, in, in the title. Uh, yeah, I'm looking cool. forward to talking about this with you. We've both seen it. We have a lot of thoughts and opinions on it. Uh, and we, as alluded to a little bit ago, this will not be a short episode. 
Yeah, the uh, movie may be based on something that has to do with speed, but there won't be anything quick about that discussion because there is already a ton yeah. that's unfolded in the you know weekish that it's been out. Mm-hmm. It's, um, I just just read plans going forward, everybody, and uh, see where kind of we'll be headed with this. I would pay attention to the box office for this one as well because I think it opened up lower than, than their uh, predictions. I think even lower than Black Adam did. Oof, so yeah, I think pay attention because yeah, that 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 could kind of spell a lot for you know what they decide to do with certain projects going forward. Well, I can tell you this: one of my other summer favorites took it in the shorts this week too, and that's Elemental limped across the finish line. I mean, Dude, what is Pixar? What is Pixar doing? Like to me, that was as sure a bet in the summer original spec idea done in animated form that would slay year in and year out. Whether it was yeah. Nemo or uh, you know Up or Wally or whatever the hell a Toy Story whatever sequel, those films slayed. I, like I don't know what is going on over there, but you know. Well, since Toy Story four, it's been Luca turning red. There's something else I'm missing in there at Elemental, and they've had four real big misses now in a row. Well, we like Soul, and Onward was, like uh, Onward was, was was pretty good too. But yeah, no, no, that, that to me, that was always like a sure, sure summer bet, but let, let's see. I mean, let's, let's see, let's see how your does yet. It, it, it's, it's one of my other summer offerings took it on the chin. Oh, jeez, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll see where that, that lies here. Yeah. The, 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 the flash might be a wash for both of us on that one. Yeah. That's a miss. That's a miss. Yeah. Um, but we shall see. We shall see. Uh, yeah. So you got the flash coming to you, uh, next time. Um, but cheers to you from over there, Matt. Cheers to you from over there, Jesse. Cheers. I got to get going. Uh, I've been looking at my whiskey here for a little bit, and there's been some little black floaties in here. Uh, I might need to go to the doctor. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, let's see that eyeball of yours. If there's something sticking out of it, we need to get you there in a quick hurry. There you go. I've seen the diagnosis. It's Alien Covenant. <laughs> Ooh, good one. Yeah, we'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Prometheus is property of 20th Century Fox, Scott Free Productions, Brandywine, and Dune Entertainment. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Final report of the vessel Prometheus. The ship and her entire crew are gone. If you're receiving this transmission, make no attempt to come to its point of origin. There's only death here now, and I'm leaving it behind. It is New Year's Day, the year of our Lord, 2094. My name is Elizabeth Shaw, last survivor of the Prometheus, and I'm still searching.